The opinions expressed during this program are solely the opinions of the hosts, guests, and callers. They do not necessarily represent the views of the advertisers, management, staff, or ownership of WCTC. WCTC Sound Advice presents NJ Law Talk with Ken Verkamen. NJ Law Talk, the weekly program focused on the law from a Jersey perspective. Now, here's your host for NJ Law Talk, Ken Verkamen. Welcome. This is NJ Law Talk, Ken Verkamen's Tuesday night show on WCTC Radio. And I'm proud this week to have my special guest star. Let's see, Robert Bianchi from Morris County. Good evening, Robert. Hey, Ken. How are you? Thanks for having me. Every day is good. So, let's see, you were the past Morris County prosecutor. And uh, just uh, out of curious, how did you actually become the Morris County prosecutor? Well, uh, Ken, as you know, uh, the the prosecutors in each county, there's 21 of them, are the chief law enforcement officers of the county. Uh, It's through the Constitution of the state of New Jersey. It's an appointment by the governor with the advice and consent of the Senate. Um, So I think pretty much everybody's history, uh, having been one of only 21 in the the state, you kind of get to know how each person got there. And um, for my uh, background, it was pretty much uh, working really hard as an assistant prosecutor, getting a lot of skills and experience there in Hudson County Prosecutor's Office. Um, And then I went into private practice and did a lot of criminal defense and civil rights work, actually, um, not only representing people that were charged with crimes, but also people that were falsely arrested, malicious prosecution, and excessive force by the police. And so those were the kind of qualities that I marketed to the governor at the time in terms of thinking that I had a background that was both pro-law enforcement, but by the same token, making sure that law enforcement's doing things correctly. Um, And the governor was, um, you know, kind enough to give me the honor of being nominated to that position. And and I received the advice and consent of the Senate. And from 2007 to 2013, it was just a tremendous opportunity and a great um, you know, thing in my career, and I learned a tremendous amount. So now I'm back in private practice doing criminal defense work, um, the personal injury and business litigation. I'm a courtroom trial attorney. I'm a certified criminal trial lawyer. So you know, that's cer- the process. I do, but in Pennsylvania, where I went to college, the pro- the district attorney is, uh, is elected. So anyone could ju- they could have no experience at all in criminal, but if they had enough money, they could uh, put their name on the ballot and the right political party. They could. They could end up winning. So, by the way, what is a uh, – there's very few attorneys that are certified criminal trial attorneys. What is a certified criminal trial attorney? Yeah, Ken, as you know yourself, uh, certification is a process that the Supreme Court put into place. It is the only independent rating system for attorneys. And I thought the Supreme Court was really wise to do this in order to give the customer, if you will, or the potential client an idea in the 72,000 lawyers that are licensed in the state of New Jersey, when you're dealing with things with the gravity of criminal offenses where people's freedoms and liberties are at stake, how does a person and make a choice as to who people have the most experience in this area. So the certification process by the Supreme Court was set up. It takes you a tremendous amount of experience, jury trials, vetting with judges and adversaries to even be able to take the test. And if you've had a number of years in practice and you've excelled in the area of criminal trial practice, they then allow you to take the examination. And upon a full review of your qualifications, they basically certify you, which essentially means that they're telling the public, I'm not sure how much the public gets, 
gets this um, with all the other advertising that's out there. Because they, they, you know, people get letters in the mail by someone who just graduated law school last year. And they sure. could have a nice website, but that doesn't mean that they've ever like, uh, tried a case in their whole life. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, when I went back into private practice, it was like the landscape changed from 2007 to 2014. And it is true. Some of my friends uh, that I'm very close with uh, but have actually never tried a case have websites that – uh, make them look as if they're just one step above Clarence Darrow. And and it's disconcerting. I'm happy for them. I'm not trying to take business away from them. But when you're dealing with criminal law, I could tell you as a former prosecutor, the head guy, you don't want to be at the table with defense that doesn't know what they're doing. Because if you believe in the system, and it's not just in trying a case, but if you also, defense attorneys have a great and tremendous opportunity to position their clients in certain ways where their cases can be lessened or the severity of the consequences can be lessened. And if you're not with a skilled defense attorney, I felt as prosecutor, the system of justice just quite wasn't working as it should. And so it's probably fair to say that uh a prosecutor who's dealing with an experienced uh, criminal defense attorney knows how to try a case, they're going to get a better deal than someone who the prosecutor goes, I don't know, this person has never tried a case before, and they're probably afraid to try a case. You know, Ken, we, uh, I talked about this. I tried to get out to the Bars Association, both state and county, often to tell them the mystery of what goes on in the actual head guy's office. And and it's really not mysterious. What it is is we talk about the facts of a case. When there's a, a case that needs my attention as the head guy, we look at the crime that was implicated and the seriousness of it and the need to deter and those things. And we also look at one of the last questions that's asked is, of course, protection of the community. But a lot of times if you have a sticky case, and what I mean by that is a case that there's like some anomalies or maybe some search and seizure issues or is who's the defense attorney. And the reason we ask that question isn't and, and sometimes this gets even mixed up with defense lawyers. Um, I have seen many cases where the defense lawyer was doing nothing to bring to our attention problems in the case. And then it go to another lawyer who is highly skilled. And then you realize, wow, there are problems with this case that we need to take into consideration. And there are lawyers we know that will go to court and aren't afraid to go to the dance, as we like to call it, which means my ability as a prosecutor to prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt lessens. When my ability to prove a case as a prosecutor lessens, so do the plea offers. Now, um, at some point, uh, you handled some uh, high-profile civil rights cases against police officers for pr- police brutality, false arrest, and malicious prosecution. Uh, can you tell us like, a little bit about uh, how you got involved with doing those kind of cases? In a, in a very odd way, Ken. Um, I came out of being a Hudson County assistant prosecutor after working for seven years. I, I love that office. Tremendous trial training opportunities. I was trying murder cases and handling them within months out of being out of law school. And I became very disconcerted in some of my travels when I didn't hear prosecutors when I was a defense attorney now um, dialoguing about what's the right thing to do or or taking things into consideration. It was very frustrating. Um, And I wound up with a case that involved a uh, off-duty police officer and my client was charged with a crime. And there is no doubt, and the history of this case shows, that my client did not commit a crime. Uh, The police reports were falsified against my client. Excessive force was used against my client. He was beaten by this officer in an attempt to cover this officer's actions, who later, it's found out, had over 70 internal affairs complaints filed against him by numerous other people. I went through an odyssey to get this case to try to get this case dismissed by the prosecutors, and I couldn't do it. After four years of litigation and trying the case, the case was actually in the middle of the trial, the criminal case, thrown out against him. It was at that point my client said, 
I want to file a civil rights complaint against this police agency. And to be honest with you, that's a very complex area of law, state law, federal law. And I told him I didn't want to do it, but he said, Bob, I only trust you. And I said, if you don't mind me cutting my teeth on civil rights law, I'll do it. We were very successful in that case. It got reported in the paper. And from that point forward, it's my practice spun completely into the civil rights area. You know, last week we did a show on medical malpractice. And I said, listen, I love doctors. I have a very good doctor. And um, let's say just my, my speaker said, like, uh, there are great doctors, but they're sometimes not great doctors. Mm-hmm. And uh, also great doctors sometimes make mistakes. And sometimes great doctors also cover up if there was an issue. Right. I'd say, and, uh, you know, just like I have many friends who are police officers and people in law enforcement, and 99% of them do a great job, but some of them, and uh, I've been defense attorney cases where I go, I'll go to a young trooper and I'm like, there's, you should always want to tell the truth. <laughs> you know, it's, this case is not that important to maybe not be uh, telling the true story. But you never know. Let's say uh, now, how is a criminal defense and uh, you became the prosecutor? How did that affect you, like having handled civil rights cases when you became the prosecutor? I think uh, excellently. You know, we received awards because of programs and practices that we put together when I became county prosecutor with my chief, William Chavella, um, both from uh, revamping internal affairs and, and holding officers more accountable to a significant community outreach. Uh, that was never done by any other prosecutor's office in the way that we did it and got national awards. But I also expressed to the police, and I think this is missing in the conversation in the Brown and Gardner, Gardner scenarios. I believed in efficacious, forceful, and aggressive law enforcement to protect the community, but yet maintaining a system where we had proper internal affairs checks and community outreach so we can make sure that they're doing it in a constitutional way. If you have that middle ground and you can say, I support the law enforcement community, and I do to this day, those small percentage of officers, and it is a small percentage that can create a lot of havoc and which the whole department gets broad brushed, as you see, which is happening right now in our law enforcement community, need to be aggressively eradicated. So I felt that it was a perfect symbiotic relationship by having a prosecutor who advocated for law enforcement and crime reduction, as well as proper internal affairs procedures. One thing I've learned in my career, Ken, is many officers that are doing the wrong thing, and and I say it's a small percentage, don't even know they're doing the wrong thing. And it doesn't do them a service, the community a service, or the department a service if they're not brought forward, retrained. We did early warning detection systems that we ran through the county with all the police agencies. We did some prolific changes. And that's why groups from the ACLU to the conservative law enforcement groups all supported what we were doing because even cops want to have the be in the right place to know what they're doing is the right thing. And Nobody suffers more than a police officer when one random bad apple is allowed to continually violate people's civil rights. So I thought, we need more of this, if you ask me, and I think that these cases are showing that. I worked as municipal prosecutor for nine years, and sometimes I'd have the uh, the the young young officers, and I'd go over you know an arrest, and I'd say, um, this was the search was not done correctly, and I'm going to try to help you uh, because we're better off losing some cases early on um, rather than teaching them just to not worry about uh, just winging things. Mm -hmm. And now that I work in a town doing some public defender work, sometimes a prosecutor and I'll talk to some of the young guys and we'll say, listen, in the future you should do it this way. Even though I'm I'm on the other side, 
because when something important, it's going to be a murder case. And if they don't do the search right, then, you know, the weapon gets thrown out. Mm-hmm. Uh, to thank you. This is uh, Ken Verkam in, uh, of Edison, New Jersey on NJ Law Talk. And uh, um, we'll be back in, uh, in a few minutes with uh, uh, Robert Bianchi, the past Morris County prosecutor. I'm a paid non-attorney spokesperson. When you need a lawyer, remember this. Call Ken Verkamen. No matter what your legal need may be, wills and living wills, powers of attorney, probate, estate planning, traffic matters, criminal charges, call Ken Verkamen. Mr. Verkamen is a well-known attorney with offices in Edison at 205 Free Woodbridge Avenue. He's author of the American Bar Association's Wills and Estate Administration. He established NJLaws.com and he's the chair of the ABA Estate Planning and Law Committee. Hundreds of clients know him for the work he's done for them or from one of his many speaking engagements around the state. Call 732-572-0500. That's 732-572-0500 for the law offices of Ken Verkamen or on the web at NJLaws.com. Ken Verkamen, the lawyer you want when it's a lawyer you need. Call 732-572-0500 and leave your legal matters to Ken Verkamen. The selection of an attorney is an important decision. If you find anything false or misleading in this ad, report it to the Committee on Attorney Advertising. CN037, Trenton, New Jersey, 08625. Like, remember the 80s? The video arcade was the cool place to hang out and you could get an annual gym membership for about 20 bucks a month. Well, the arcades have all closed and the days of the $20 monthly plan are gone, but not at Retro Fitness, the most affordable health club ever, where your $19.99 plus tax monthly membership fee is guaranteed for life. What separates Retro Fitness from other gyms is classes like Zumba, Total Tone, Cardio Kick, Yoga, and they offer childcare so you can get the most out of your workout. Now through New Year's Eve, pay zero enrollment and no dues until February 2015. Retro Fitness gift certificates let you give the gift of health to anyone making a New Year's resolution to get into better shape. Retro Fitness, now with three Central Jersey locations. 649 Route 206 North in Hillsboro, 908-829-4423, 22 North Center Drive in North Brunswick, 732-297-5213, and in Manville, 114 North Main Street, 908-526-9400. Retro Fitness, we get you. Checking WCTC traffic, we're sponsored by the Foundation for a Better Life. We're still looking at delays in Union on 22 because of an accident eastbound side, which has been cleared out by Morris Avenue. On the Parkway, southbound traffic is delayed getting out to Metro Park at 131A. 27 South is back to exit 5, out to 440. Winston Churchill's words stirred his country in the face of defeats. Today, they inspire us to reach for our own victories. Commitment, pass it on from the Foundation for Better Life at values.com. 30 degrees, John Grimeyer, WCTC traffic. Now the 1450 WCTC forecast. Early this evening, some lingering clouds and maybe even a stray flurry in northern areas. Otherwise, turning mainly clear and chilly, low 20 to 25. Tomorrow, partly to mostly sunny, blustery and cold, around 32. For New Year's Eve, clear and cold, midnight temperatures in the 20s. Then New Year's Day, sunny and breezy, high 32. Ken Elliott on 1450 WCTC. Now, more NJ Law Talk on 1450 WCTC and WCTCAM.com. Hello, this is Ken Verkamen, and we're back with NJ Law Talk. Uh, we're here every Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, my office is in Edison, New Jersey. But this week, I'm proud to have as my special guest star, Robert Bianchi, who's the past Morris County prosecutor. I got one of only 21 in the whole state and uh, appointed, by, appointed by the governor. And we like to say based upon merit uh, because uh, you've tried cases you know, yep. throughout your whole career. Absolutely. You know, That's of, I love trying cases. You know, I mean, a lot of the, you know, 
people who have never tried to get it's it's the excitement. Let's say, uh, you know, people who are involved with sports, like uh, you can practice all the time, but you want to get get out there and be in the game. So, but uh, let me ask you a question. When you were the county prosecutor, what do you think was one of your, uh, the most challenging things you could have confronted you with your staff as the county prosecutor? Well, first let me say that um, I had a tremendous staff and, and I really loved working with them. Um, they were a great group, group of men and women. And I think we did some tremendous things. Um, but you have to know, like like I did when I was an assistant prosecutor, when administrations change, you have to kind of go with the temperature and culture of the guy who's going to be at the top because that's where, well, hopefully with any leader, you're going to set the tone and vision. Um, my dad's 82 years old. He's one of the best trial lawyers uh, I've been watching since I was five years old. I've also been cross-examined quite a bit by him when I was a child. Um, so you learn a couple of things along the way. And I would always say to people that being a trial lawyer, in my opinion, is a bit of a spiritual exercise. There's an intensity to it, a passion to it. There's there's trying to get to the truth and, and, and the stickiness of human nature that we deal with. And it's kind of fascinating. So I was a trial-oriented person right out of law school. And and that can really change the complexion of the of the office. So when I came in, um, I wouldn't say it was so much of a challenge, but it was setting a tone that we had a lot of murder cases, for example, that were anywhere between four and nine years old where people were waiting in the county jail for trial. Isn't there supposed to be a speedy trial thing? Yeah. Uh, well, I asked. Um, I, I, I was asking. I was kind of surprised. Like, when was the last bail motion made by the defense or what was happening? And, and it just seemed to me to be a little bit of a claims adjusting, I would call it, uh, mentality. And if a case couldn't be pled, then it kind of went into what I would call the cornfield reference to one of some childhood thing I've seen it just went away and I felt that there was of course as you know Ken the older a case gets the worse it is for the prosecution so my first order of business was we need to get and these were not these were bad murders I mean I've been a homicide prosecutor since I got out of law school these were children raped and murdered afterwards and in horrific circumstances so getting those cases together and then myself having to sit down with the lawyers to make sure that they were properly investigated they were being properly prepared um i was concerned about because and it's not their fault i just don't think that there was the leadership to move those cases previous to me getting there not that i'm any big deal but my point was these cases are all getting tried we're not bargaining them away we're not giving them something less than what it is it's murder and we're trying them and you know what my staff rose to the occasion i was proud to be there with them in the courtroom going over the evidence rules with them we all used to sit down and go over all the murder cases together with all the lawyers and as many detectives as we could put in the room and we tried one after another after another and got justice for those families and i thought that that was really cool once you come in as the county prosecutor you're you're sworn in. Uh, do you get to decide who the uh, different uh, attorneys are as the assistant prosecutors in the office? Sure. Yeah, I have complete control. Uh, I could have, you know, you, you can you, you fire let, them You could have let, let all of them go. Yeah, sure. Um, the and investigators it, have some sort of civil service, right? Yeah, they have protections because you know um, they're the, police officers. The, the, yeah, they have contracts, so you have to they have to have cause for the detective side of the office, and on the lawyer side of the office, they're all at will employees. Um, but listen, I mean, you know, there's 
a lot of different, a lot of people don't realize in a prosecutor's office how many different units there are in a prosecutor's office, from family division, major crimes, homeland security, Oprah, uh, all these crazy forfeiture. So you, you pretty much can find a place to put any lawyer. Uh, and, and I think that's important to do. And my mantra always was, if you have a good heart and are coming in here and giving us an honest day's work for the taxpayer, you'll always be safe with me. The people that I had the most difficulty with in the beginning, and they found their ways into different careers were the, you know, people who came in with negative attitudes that didn't appreciate the gift of this job to be able to every day do something positive for people. Uh, They had bad attitudes and they were somewhat cancerous. It wasn't a lot. There were a couple, but you know, you have one or two and it can take a whole organization down. Those were the people that I had some difficulty. Well, I, I didn't have a lot of difficulty. I gave them a couple of opportunities. I explained the vision when it was clear that they felt that they didn't have to follow that vision. Um, it was determined that they needed employment elsewhere. But the vast majority of my staff was just unbelievably awesome and hardworking and dedicated. Now, right now, as a criminal defense attorney, let's switch uh, gears for a second. Like you're in a, you're in a different chair. Like how does your how do you handle the initial phone call when someone's charged with a a, a criminal matter and uh, they said, "Geez, like uh, I I could go to jail. I'm going to lose my job. I'll lose my family." Like how do how do you handle the initial interview and how do you handle that to, even before that the initial phone call when someone calls your office? This is going to sound a little odd to you because. I'm not sure how many other people handle it this way, but it's again, it's a mindset. Um, first of all, I got a great staff uh, again, and to me, staff is what it's all about. And Jamie here that you've you, you've met, and and Brielle and Dave, my partner in the office, and and Evie and, and other people that work with us, I explained to them, and I think this is really important. I, it's changed. Um, I kind of viewed my job as a defense lawyer in the past as being something where I got excellent legal results for people. And I'm not sure I addressed the suffering they were going through in in as robust a way that I could have. And I think most lawyers are that way. They tend to look at their jobs as just getting the legal result. So what I try to do with my staff is to explain to them, first, understand whoever's calling you, we have an opportunity to alleviate some suffering. Even if we don't, and, and Jamie, I can see you shaking her head here. She's in the, in the studio. Um, and, and I think that that is the most profound thing that we as lawyers can do. And I don't think we spend enough t- time on that. It may come from a spiritual place in me, my connectedness to my faith or whatever, that even whatever is going to happen, I will get you 110% great legal results within the bounds of what can be done for you. But in the end, let's have a relationship where we both walk away knowing we both became better people in that process, that we helped navigate the suffering. My partner Dave and I have gone for actual training with Brene Brown, I'm not sure if you're familiar who that is, in San Antonio about suffering resilience and how to, how to help people navigate difficult times. So the first client interview a lot of times is, is talking about their fears and letting them know we understand their fears and their concerns, and then trying to give them the confidence that we're the group that we work as a team, we are really experienced. We have heart. We're dedicated. We never sell a client out. Um, we can't guarantee you any results. And any lawyer that does yeah. that, you know, as well as I am, is lying. It's a relational process. I mean, a lot of times, like, you know, people ask you on the first phone call, you know, uh, what what can you guarantee? Yeah. And I usually say, listen, I can't guarantee the sun will come up tomorrow or that I will be alive next week. You need to run you the know, other way know, when somebody tells times, you something like that. Yeah, the only guarantee that we will give is we'll do the best we can. Right. And I mean, I have myself, I have our quote emergency number on 
my website, and uh, njlaws.com and benotguilty.com, which is really my cell number. Mm-hmm. So someone calls me on the weekend, and uh, I know it's easy, frankly, it's sometimes easier to reach me because I have my cell phone with me, and it's not my staff. I get in the calls, and I'll talk to someone. And uh, But I'm a straight shooter. You know, uh, some some attorneys tell people what they want to hear. Right. Let's say, uh, and uh, I'm like the doctor. You know, doctor says, listen, I can either tell you what the test results are, or I can tell you what you want test results to be you yeah know, listen so it's i important mean to be we're, honest with we're in a really competitive field and i've listened to people that come in and and although my credentials kind of speak for themselves so it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to evade that i mean it, but they say well somebody told me and they'll tell you a result and i'm like i i use the same ex- exact analogy ken i said listen if you had a lump on your on your chest and it's like me saying don't worry about it i need to do x-rays i need to do testing i need to get the police reports i need this and and when that's all said and done i think the biggest mistake that i saw as the prosecutor that i was really shocked at by many defense attorneys and i'm just calling as i see it is that a lot of people think well how could you be a defense attorney now that you were a prosecutor or vice versa and it's very simple 99 percent of the time ken we're not saying the person didn't do it or there's not sufficient evidence there's only about 5% of the people that need to really be hammered by a jail sentence. Most of the people, we can present information, rehabilitation, and put them into dynamics where the prosecutor feels comfortable a lesser plea bargain is appropriate in this case because this person won't be back again. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk about uh, how you handle the media during your term as the uh, county prosecutor. This is Ken Verkam and NJ Law Talk. Stay up all night with Red Eye Radio on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC, New Brunswick, a greater media station. This is Officer Nancy Farrell of the Port Authority Police Department asking you not to let your guard down this holiday season, whether you're riding path, traveling through a terminal, crossing the Hudson, or catching a plane. Here are some safety tips. Keep your wallet in an inside coat pocket and never leave your bags unattended. And remember to scan your surroundings. If you see anything suspicious, tell a Port Authority police officer or call 800-828-7273. Thank you and happy holidays. Funding for this message provided by grants from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Your home for Rutgers sports is the voice of Central Jersey. 1450 WCTC, New Brunswick, a greater media station. AP Update, I'm Ross Simpson. The U.S. Navy destroyer USS Sampson is lending a helping hand at the crash site of that AirAsia jetliner in the Java Sea off the coast of Indonesia. She's got a helicopter on board um, and will be able to assist in some of that search and recovery efforts, at least on the surface right now. Rear Admiral John Kirby says USS Fort Worth may be sent to the recovery site. She's being outfitted with side scan sonar um, in case that would be needed. As you know, that is a a fairly sophisticated piece of technology that allows us to map the ocean floor, at least to be able to help find wreckage and debris on the ocean floor. But Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, says the U.S. does not want to overwhelm Indonesia with assets. We're only, you know, providing what they believe that they they need. We want to be poison ready. Um, and right now it's it's largely surface search uh, and recovery um, missions that they that they need help with. AP update. I'm Ross Simpson. I'm a paid non-attorney spokesperson. When you need a lawyer, remember this. Call Ken Verkamen. No matter what your legal need may be, wills and living wills, powers of attorney, probate, estate planning, traffic matters, criminal charges, call Ken Verkamen. Mr. Verkamen is a well-known attorney with offices in Edison at 2053 Woodbridge Avenue. He's author of the American Bar Association's Wills and Estate Administration. He established NJLaws.com, and he's the chair of the ABA Estate Planning and Law Committee. Hundreds of clients know him for the work he's done for them or 
from one of his many speaking engagements around the state. Call 732-572-0500. That's 732-572-0500 for the law offices of Ken Verkamen or on the web at njlaws.com. Ken Verkamen, the lawyer you want when it's a lawyer you need. Call 732-572-0500 and leave your legal matters to Ken Verkamen. The selection of an attorney is an important decision. If you find anything false or misleading in this ad, report it to the Committee on Attorney Advertising. CN 037 Trenton, New Jersey 08625. Hi, Jan Elliott in Snow Country. This brought to you by the Empire State Development's Division of Tourism. Proud owner of the I Love New York brand. Come ski New York State. You'll find everything you need to plan your next ski and ride adventure at iSkiNY.com. Ah, that winter feel is back at the mountains and it shows with snowmaking and grooming in the nearby areas. Have their most popular runs ready for you with plenty of parks and tubing shoots and quite a few with festivities planned to ring in the new year. A strong snowmaking session kicked off up north too and many summits ski 20 to 40 miles of terrain. At Mountain Creek, you'll find 10 runs open in the Catskills, Wyndham close to 30. At Bel Air, over 20 trails with machine groom loose granular. At West Mountain, their terrain park is open. They also have a novice run and an intermediate trail ready for you. Gore Mountain, over 40 trails. And in Vermont, Pico, close to 20 runs. Stowe with 30 miles of terrain. And if skiing is taking you west to ring in the new year, Crested Butte, another foot and a half of snow in a week. Over 600 acres open. Sun Valley, Idaho's 100%. More at snowcountry.com. I'm Jan Elliott on the New Talk Radio 1450 WCTC, the voice of Central Jersey. Hi, this is Anthony Locasio, certified financial planner professional for 34 years. I want to be your personal guardian of wealth. We can customize a retirement plan to defend your wealth and enjoy your current lifestyle. You worked your entire life to save for retirement. I can counsel you on investments and how your investments affect your taxes. I'm confident I can help. You just need to call Anthony Locasio Consulting at 1-800-269-9329. Registered representatives in this office are registered with and securities offered through Kovac Securities, Inc., member FINRA SIPC, 1350 Church Street, Extension Northeast, 3rd Floor, Marietta, Georgia, 30060, 770-319-1970. Anthony Locasio offers financial planning and investment advisory services offered through C2P Capital Advisory Groups, LLC, DBA. Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Ohio. Anthony Locasio is registered as an investment advisor representative of PCA in the state of New Jersey. Anthony Locasio Consulting, LLC, is not affiliated with Kovac Securities, Inc. or PCA. These days, a lot of beers boast about their heritage. You want a beer with history? Order a Miller Lite. The light beer that invented light beer. The one brewed for lightness and taste. Because even if you're drinking a light beer, it should still taste like beer. Well, that's Miller Lite. The hardest working light beer in the business. For a limited time, Miller Lite is back in the original light can. When you want a light beer with more beer in it, it's Miller time. Great beer, great responsibility. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Checking WCTC traffic sponsored once again by the Foundation for a Better Life. We've got the volume still on 287 South Bennett's at 5 to 3. And then again, getting out towards exit 1 into 440. Parkway's busy by Metro Park Station, southbound side. Also, Route 1 is delayed both directions at Old Post Road and 9 South Victory Plaza out towards Raritan Street. Stop and go. Winston Churchill's words stirred his country in the face of defeat. Today, they inspire us to our own victories. Commitment. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. 30 degrees, John Grimeyer, WCTC traffic. Now the 1450 WCTC forecast. For the evening hours, just a few scattered clouds remaining, otherwise turning mainly clear and colder tonight. By morning, it'll be 20 to 25. Cold and blustery tomorrow with partly sunny skies, a high around 32. For New Year's Eve, clear and chilly, midnight temperatures in the mid-20s. Then New Year's Day, mostly sunny and breezy, high near 32 again. 
Ken Elliott on 1450 WCTC. Now, more NJ Law Talk on 1450 WCTC and WCTCAM.com. Good evening. This is uh, Ken Verkam and on NJ uh, Law Talk, we're here every Tuesday night. And our special guest star this week is Robert Bianchi, the past Morris County prosecutor. And uh, by the way, we were just talking about uh, your work as a uh, uh, good criminal defense attorney and uh, um, sometimes you get that call uh, on the weekend and they got something serious but then they stop with a question you know how how much it's it's the third question they have how much and how does your office generally handle that well, you'll be talking to either myself or my partner, Dave Bruno, um, with those kinds of questions. And, you know, it really depends on the manner in which it's positioned. What I've noticed with these internet calls, which can be kind of maddening, is that you have people out there calling 20 attorneys and then will start arguing with you that, by the way, I already got a guy who's going to do my murder case for $750. And I'll sit there and say to him, listen, with all due respect, sir, um, you know, I'm a former county prosecutor. I'm a certified criminal trial attorney. I tell them my experience. I, I know my business inside and out. My partner's a certified criminal trial attorney, former major crimes assistant prosecutor, whatever. There's a price and a cost that comes with that. And and I'll work with people, and I have no difficulty doing with it, but there's almost like a, uh, hey, I got one on you. I got somebody to do it for $750. And, and those people – be honest with you, they could write a check for a big amount. I'm not even certain I want to represent them as clients. Ken, one of the things I've had the fortune because of my background is that we have a lot of people that come to us and we have a full caseload. I don't want to be like McDonald's and you know, thirty billion served. So I do tell those people Because like, you can't you can't handle a thousand clients at you, once. You know, listen, we know this, right? We know this in the business. There there are people out there that are handling, you know, a hundred, two hundred files, and there is no way possible to put the quality work that you need to do to represent somebody under those circumstances. And we will not do it. And I'm at a point in my career where I don't need to do it because of the people that come through the door. But I will say there are times where I've had people that I have felt so badly for and I think are really making an effort and there's just a connectivity between me and that person where we've said, you know what? It's time for us to give back and we represent them pro bono because, but it's got to be the right person. Yeah. You know what I mean? I got to really feel that that person really appreciates what it is that they're they're getting. Because a lot of times if they don't pay, Ken, and we know this from the, what public defenders deal with, and if they don't pay, sometimes they feel like that you're not doing the job for them. I mean, I took I took the test uh, earlier this year that the Supreme Court has to become a certified municipal court attorney. And uh, when people talk to me, I was, listen, I've tried enough cases in my life. I, I know about going to court, and sometimes I'll say, listen, when I needed uh, knee surgery, let's say uh, I called a Rutgers track coach. I go, hey, who's the best guy you got? Who's someone good? And they said, the doctor said, we don't even take your wife's insurance. And she has great insurance. You, they said, you pay out of your pocket. And you, but I want, I want to, I'm well, I was willing to sacrifice and sell it to get great, great results. And sometimes I have people who go, listen, I'd say, yeah, you got it. You're going to have to sacrifice and borrow money to get someone good because you don't want to use just someone who does it on the cheap to send you a letter in the mail saying, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a cheap criminal lawyer because like, uh, cheap ain't good and good ain't cheap. Right. Now, when you were the, uh, let's go back to, uh, when you were the county prosecutor, like, uh, uh, one of the things that you had to do was deal with the media. And uh, what were some of the things that surprised you with dealing with the media? Well, I, I can say um, dealing with the media was the most counterintuitive thing and the thing I was least prepared for when I took the job. 
Um, as you know, Ken, we are under significant guidelines, ethics guidelines, about what it is that prosecutors can and cannot say. And ostensibly, it's to protect a person who's presumed innocent from having cases tried in the court of public opinion, which is unfortunately becoming a huge problem, especially if a case catches national media attention. So uh, the media, of course, wants information immediately, many times before you even are aware of well-vetted data in order to give them if you were so inclined to do it. So there became this constant tension. And um, I remember as a young prosecutor reaching out to a number of my colleagues and asking them, like, what are you guys doing here in order with this onslaught? Now, I was surprised because I'm an Essex Hudson guy primarily where I was trained. Like, why is so much media up in Morris County? And, and the reason why was, I learned, is that it's because it's Morris County, and when there's a murder there, it's, it's, it's you know, documented. But we were asked to comment on cases that I thought were just absurd. Um, but, okay, so we did the best. I had a great point of information person, my, my captain of investigations, Jeff Paul. He was not only a great uh, tactical person, but he knew the media really well, so he kind of navigated it for me. So it can be a little unrelenting, Ken. i got to be honest with you, because sometimes I felt it wasn't really about the fairness of the facts, and I felt, I felt personally that there were – you know, even when I would write out a quote, because it got to a point where I started writing it out, that they just chop it up anyway. Um, and I kind of felt that there was, in some outlets, not all, but in some outlets, it was more about an agenda than it necessarily was about the truth of the story. And that was disconcerting. I always expected to take hits for the things I did. And I ha- had no problem accepting responsibility for it. It was the things that I didn't do that I was being held accountable for that I felt was really inappropriate. Can I give you an example? Yes. Yeah, I had an example where I got a little bit of a heads up that they were complaining about some, a, a certain media outlet, and I, and I actually wound up hanging this, uh, framing it. You mean it. they? Who's they? I, I don't want to get into oh, the outlet okay, that it was, okay. but it it, it, it it was something that was, they were going to write a, a story, and a, a kind of an editorial-ish kind of thing, and, and what they were saying was completely wrong. They were talking about extrajudicial comments that I made outside of the courtroom, uh, which you're not allowed to do. Uh, what they didn't realize is the comments were not being made outside the courtroom. I was I used to argue cases. I used to go in and say, if my lawyer's going to do it, I'm going to lead by example. So they were reporting on statements that were being made inside of the courtroom. Um, and they were misstating what was stated. So I went and I got a copy of the video and I, I before the article came out. And I said, I want to show you that the premise of your article is completely wrong. And the response was, yeah, we know. But anybody, t- I, I almost remember the quote to it to an exactitude. Anytime somebody takes a shot on a county prosecutor and wants to write a story about it, we're going to run it simply because you're a public official. I, that was back in 2007 when I first took the job. And and boy, they did a nice job. It was a big picture of me with a title, Mr. Bianchi, do your job. And, and then all of this data that was inaccurate. And I actually framed the picture and put it in and hung it on my wall in my office to try to... Governor Christie did this, and I remember uh, listening to him talk about how he did the same thing when he became U.S. attorney, and I thought it was genius what he did. I put it up there as a a demonstration to me, Bob, it's not going to be fair, um, and you're just going to have to get past that and just deal with your... keep your head down and do your job. It was tough at times. Now, now most county prosecutors are are, um, administrators, and they, they... Supervisor, different people. Like uh, you were the one of the few that actually tried cases, correct? I uh, yeah, I I was in court all the time. I did sentences, pleas, Let's motions, see. and I actually now, tried a murder case. Now you, 
you were probably the first prosecutor in decades to try a murder case uh, anywhere. First county prosecutor. Yep, uh, yeah. I'd say, yeah. I'd say, and uh, how, did, how did you decide to try this like uh, one murder case? Well, I, I, I did it against the advice of my entire team of trusted advisors because, as you know, Ken, um, being the head county prosecutor, you really put a spotlight on you. And if you don't succeed or you fail or, you know, you're vulnerable. Let me put it that way. But I love vulnerability. And, and, and I felt that it was important that my staff, I tasked them to do things and try cases like a crazy man. And they, they rose up to that occasion. And I felt it was time for me to roll up my sleeves and to go in and show that I'm not asking them to do anything that I didn't do and wouldn't do myself, even though I put myself at considerable uh, risk and vulnerability in doing it. I picked a case where a Chatham priest was uh, murdered in the rectory by the janitor of, of the church. And um, it was a fascinating investigation. I was out at every single murder scene uh, that occurred in the county to make sure my lawyers were out there as well, working you hand in glove. You your lawyers. Your, your my assistant prosecutors, right? So, I mean, I would always say to those guys, because you know this as a defense attorney, it's not about high-fiving yourself because you made an arrest. We need to p- carry that ball over the goal line and get a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt. It's got to survive 12 people saying this person's guilty. And so we were able to ad- advise them about what the criminal code said about criminal defense defenses and the lawyers would work in combination with the detectives not just to make the arrest because he's a criminal defense attorney i've won lots of cases because nobody thought uh, they got probable cause to arrest but they didn't think about proof beyond a reasonable doubt so i was involved in that priest uh, case and and the way it was solved was just like so miraculous to me to be honest with you and i know we don't have time to go into the whole facts of the case but i was like this has got to be the case there's I'm no profession try. Uh, there ultimately yeah. was a but, but, statement, but, but the statement wasn't a confession. It was really setting up his defense, which became very tactical in terms of us not admitting his statement, um, which is something that's very counterintuitive to prosecutors. I, I, I'm not a believer of introducing every statement a defendant makes because that, in essence, makes him not have to take the witness stand and puts the defense into the case. By not moving his statement into evidence, I think we forced him to the stand and he got on the stand. And well, just What was your like, breakthrough in evidence in that murder case of the priest? Uh, well, uh, you know what, Ken? Every investigation comes down to one thing. Get your nose out of the books. It's about common sense and knowing people. And one of the first things that I asked when I was out at the scene was, does the priest have a cell phone? And if so, where is it? He has a cell phone. Nobody knew where the cell phone was. We wound up working with the cell phone carriers, and we found out very pretty quickly that the cell phone had been moving the night before from Chatham in a westerly direction and seemed to be landing. It landed in eastern Pennsylvania, was hitting off cell phone towers in eastern Pennsylvania. But the interesting piece was that the phone was continuing to make phone calls in eastern Pennsylvania. We had already done a canvas. We had already interviewed witnesses. Of course, the next logical question would be, who from around here has connection to Eastern Pennsylvania? And we found out that it was the janitor that actually found the priest, quote-unquote, in the rectory the next day. Hmm, that's interesting. We eventually went out. We did search warrants. We canvassed a park across the street from the gentleman's house, and they found the cell phone. But here's the thing, Ken. The cell phone had been broken. What later we found out was when he cleaned out the rectory, he took the cell phone with him. And when he was on his way home, he broke the cell phone in half and then by doing so he caused it to hit the contact list of the priest's cell phone and it was just continually making cell phone calls all night long when it got to eastern pennsylvania and to this day there was not one expert that could explain to us how that cell phone was working after it was broken that to me was what i told the jury was the miracle if you will of the case so if you didn't have the the cell phone ping there was nothing really to put the uh, the janitor 
quote at the, at the scene of the of the crime. Absolutely. Let's see. Do you consider that as like a, uh, the highlight of your career? No, I mean, um, you know, it, it, I, I've had a prolific career of helping people. Uh, it was great satisfaction. I was glad I did it because there was so much debate about doing it and you shouldn't do it and what happens if you don't win and this and anything. And I'm just glad I did it. Let's see. Uh, thank you, uh, Bob. Uh, this is Ken Verkam and uh, NJ Law Talk, and we'll be back in a minute. We're here every Tuesday night. I'm a paid non-attorney spokesperson. When you need a lawyer, remember this. Call Ken Verkamen. No matter what your legal need may be, wills and living wills, powers of attorney, probate, estate planning, traffic matters, criminal charges, call Ken Verkamen. Mr. Verkamen is a well-known attorney with offices in Edison at 2053 Woodbridge Avenue. He's author of the American Bar Association's Wills and Estate Administration. He established NJLaws.com, and he's the chair of the ABA Estate Planning and Law Committee. Hundreds of clients know him for the work he's done for them or from one of his many speakers engagements around the state. Call 732-572-0500. That's 732-572-0500 for the law offices of Ken Verkamen or on the web at njlaws.com. Ken Verkamen, the lawyer you want when it's a lawyer you need. Call 732-572-0500 and leave your legal matters to Ken Verkamen. The selection of an attorney is an important decision. If you find anything false or misleading in this ad, report it to the Committee on Attorney Advertising. CN037, Trenton, New Jersey, 08625. If your vehicle has been involved in a collision or any type of unwanted contact, trust Ultimate Collision on Route 1 in Edison to get you and your car back on the road. The professionals at Ultimate provide the industry's highest quality repairs using state-of-the-art equipment and cutting-edge techniques, and they vow to provide you with an exceptional, personalized experience. Be sure to ask about Ultimate Collision's two-year Collision Guardsman program. It'll relieve the stress and out-of-pocket expenses for your vehicle repair after an accident. Collision Guardsman will reimburse you up to $500 on your covered auto deductible. Collision Guardsman is the protection plan that gives you a sense of security when going about your every day life. Ask for it from Ultimate Collision. Ultimate Collision specializes in storm-damaged vehicles and can make yours good as new. That's Ultimate Collision, 1115 Route 1 South in Edison. Call 732-494-1900. 732-494-1900. Checking WCTC traffic. We're sponsored by the Foundation for a Better Life. Still delayed with no incidents, but delays on the Garden State Parkway southbound side. Busy out in towards the area of exit 131A. It looks like we're okay on the northbound side. Turnpike is clear. 287 southbound traffic is still a little slow coming up to 440. Route 1 both ways by Old Post Road. You've got stop and go traffic. Winston Churchill's words stirred his country in the face of defeat. Today they inspire us to reach our own victories. Commitment. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at Valdez.com. Down to 29 degrees. John Grimeyer, WCTC Traffic. Have a great evening. Now the 1450 WCTC forecast. Early this evening, some lingering clouds and maybe even a stray flurry in northern areas. Otherwise, turning mainly clear and chilly, low 20 to 25. Tomorrow, partly to mostly sunny, blustery and cold, around 32. For New Year's Eve, clear and cold, midnight temperatures in the 20s. Then New Year's Day, sunny and breezy, high 32. Ken Elliott on 1450 WCTC. Now, more NJ Law Talk on 1450 WCTC and WCTCAM.com. Hi, this is uh, Ken Burkham, and we're here at NJ 
Law Talk. We're here every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. And our special guest star this week is Robert Bianchi, the past Morris County prosecutor, a certified criminal trial attorney. And uh, Bob, let's see, uh, what position uh, uh, do you like the most, the prosecution or the defense? That is such a loaded question, Ken. I love it. Uh, I get it asked all the time. Here's the thing. I love being county prosecutor because you have a platform where not only can you do good work in terms of protecting the community, but you have an opportunity to get out into that community. And from my spiritual place, our community affairs unit and the stuff that we used to do that helped so many people in so many different ways beyond the criminal law issues was very powerful to me. However, I love doing criminal defense because there's a little bit of a different feel to that. When I'm doing criminal defense work, each individual client that comes before me, I can, I can help them, like I was saying before, navigate this suffering. I do a lot of lecturing to schools, to colleges on suffering resilience and what is the purpose and meaning of our lives. And, and, and I'm telling you, as, as crazy as this may sound, people think it's crazy. We have gotten such great marks from clients, if you will, who come back and say, you know something, not only did he great, get great legal results, but the thing I respect more about you is I was in a place where I wanted to kill myself, or I was in a place where I never thought I would get to the other end, or I was a drug addict and you helped me navigate that. You cared about who I was. I look at my life very simply, I, and I lecture on this all the time. On my deathbed confession, will my soul roll over easy that I helped other people? It doesn't come down to cars, money, houses, or, or whatever. Did my career or my life make a difference in people's lives? So as a defense attorney, you have a much more intimate ability to do that with the individual person. So I love them both. I mean, when you're a prosecutor, you're wearing the white hat. Let's say uh, uh, when you're a defense attorney, you're wearing kind of a white hat for one, one person. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I never really, I, uh, it's kind of like the soul of law. I mean, I don't look at prosecutors and defense attorneys doing something that's that different. They have different, like judges too. We all have a part of a role in the soul of justice. And each one needs to be playing according to the rules and doing its job as vigorously as it can. And in somewhere in that adversarial system, the right result comes forward. So each one is indispensably I mean, you're, necessary. You're, you're the prosecutor and defense attorney are adversaries, but they're also, you, you see each other at the Bar Association and uh, you know you get to see each other in the future. Yeah, well listen, and each each this comes down to ultimately about justice and doing the right thing. And that's not necessarily a very easily definable thing. But when I can take, I, I'm going to, if I'm, if I have a minute, I had a client that had led a perfect life. I love this girl. She was college educated, rose up from the bottom of society. You know, was a true success story, and and dedicated her life to underprivileged kids. Long and short of it, I won't go through all the details. But when it was said and done, it was very interesting to me. I, I she got a very successful legal result, and she gave me the hug in the in the courthouse, in the hallway, and said, you saved my life. And I was like, no, actually, it was such a great honor to represent you. Your resilience and your spirit was unbelievable to me. And she said to me, I'm so glad that you're no longer the county prosecutor, which was a, like a weird <laughs> statement. I said, oh, yeah, why is that? And she said, you know why? Because if you were still the county prosecutor, you wouldn't have been representing me. And if you didn't represent me, I probably would be in state prison because I made a single mistake in my life. It was a goose bump powerful moment for me and it kind of lets you know whether you're a prosecutor whether you're a defense attorney you are where you should be and many of the people it's 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 their their first or second mis mistake 
You know, not, not that many people wake up and say, I'm going to be a criminal every single day. Yeah, you know, listen, I mean, Governor Christie, I think, has done a good job in, in leading the charge um, at, at, at look, looking at drugs as, as an addiction. Many of these people are coming forward in the system because of addiction problems, mental health disorders. Um, and I think that that whole tenor that was set by him in terms of looking at it as an addiction and not necessarily a criminal justice issue, you know as well as I do, we're dealing with people a lot of times where we're warehousing them in state prison. We're in filling prison. up our jails with nonviolent uh, abs- offenders. Absolutely. And not doing anything so when they get out, they won't be. And, another and the problem, Ken, is that people look and say, well, well, look, I love the idea of the discretion of the prosecutor, but each and every day when we are passing laws that require or have with them attached to the mandatory minimum sentences, no escape clauses, even when the prosecutor and the judge and the defense attorney want to do the right thing, we're hamstrung. It needs to change. Yeah, I'd say uh, you've appeared on, um, I'd say, uh, Fox's uh, O'Reilly Factor and made other national TV appearances. Uh, what are some of the things that you spoke on in the past couple of years uh, on TV shows? Well, I mean, I've done uh, so many. I've been very blessed to do that uh, because I believe that that's an, an integral component, not of vanity, but of educating the community. And, and I continue to do that. Um, so bullying, we were very progressive with internal affairs and community affairs, uh, the plea bargaining problem to get of all shows that I've done in the past, uh, nationally with O'Reilly, we were dealing with the Garner case, the Michael Brown case, uh, with, with some football players that currently have murder charges against them. I mean, we, we, we've been asked to come on multiple numerous media outlets to give our legal opinion. And it's kind of fun to do because you have that background. Nothing is worse, Ken, than when you're sitting there in your home and you're listening to people comment about trials, like the Zimmerman case or that, whatever case it could be, obviously. And you're clawing at the TV saying, these people must have never tried a case because they don't even know the evidence rules. And people are yelling and screaming, much like what was happening with the grand jury process. Yeah, people that we don't understand. The, the grand jury is like, uh, you know, is there is there enough evidence? They think a grand jury has to has to be an automatic uh, finding. Well, you know, people were asking for in these grand jury proceedings things that they typically advocate against. Grand juries are the safety valve put into place to stop prosecutors and police from overstepping their bounds. Um, and 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 the way it was being dialogued that, for example, they shouldn't present evidence favorable to the defendant. You know as well as I do. You file a motion in court, and the indictment's going to be dismissed. You have an obligation to do that. So a lot of the things that were being ridiculed uh, were things that were supposed to be protections to make sure defendants mm-hmm. got a fair shake in the grand jury process. And one of our uh, other speakers on a prior show uh, was a prior county prosecutor, and he said, uh, we would always permit the defendant to testify before the grand jury. Uh, say, because he goes, he goes, he said, number one, it was fair. And number two, he goes, like, well, he gets us a free bite of the apple because we know what they're going to say. But it's also all about fairness. It's not about convicting every single person. No, and yeah. And, and I've been saying till I'm blue in the face about the fact that prosecutors, even if you get an indictment, have an ethical obligation only to move forward with cases that they believe can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So if you're struggling to get a case past the grand jury, which the standard's probable cause, People are looking at this the wrong way. That's even more of a reason not to bring the case because how are you going to prove it to 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt? Obviously, these people that are making these comments have never tried a case. It's very difficult. Prosecutors don't take cases to trial with witnesses that change their testimony, are lying, that say that they weren't there, recent cases in particular. It's what we call a leaky bag of, well, there'd be an expletive yes. usually associated with that. Uh, they go on physical evidence, credible witnesses, consistent witnesses. And if you put these two cases on a shelf for a moment and look at what we're going to have to deal with going forward we don't want prosecutors just indicting cases and making people stand trial for things that they can't prove 
Let's say, and, and some in some counties, sometimes the county prosecutor will will remand a case from superior court to the municipal court. That briefly, uh, let's say, uh, why is that done? Well, uh, you know, it, the prosecutor has to look at, and we're given the discretion as prosecutors to look at your overall crime problem, your resources, and, and managing cases in a way that makes sense, because we have lots of cases coming in. So if it's a low-level offender with a low-level offense, and we feel that the municipal court can handle it, and that's sufficient enough punishment, it's kind of a clearinghouse way of getting a case to an appropriate you know, place. But one thing, Ken, and, and recently you hear this in a dialogue, um, why didn't prosecutors ask for an indictment? They may be surprised to learn that that's unethical for prosecutors to ask for indictments because it takes away from the grand jury their process. So typically what happens is that the grand jury, uh, the, the prosecutor puts evidence on in the grand jury and leaves it to their consideration. However, they can ask that a case be remanded. They're allowed to ask for less. But in a certain sense, I've got to be honest with you, when you don't ask for less, the grand jury knows what you want to do. I mean, uh, about a, a few months ago, there was proposed legislation to bar prosecutors from giving PTI in, uh, in assault cases. It was based upon the Ray Rice thing. Right. And, uh, you know, I was on uh, a radio station and, and uh, I said, well, there should not be an automatic barring the prosecutor to do anything because it should really be the prosecutor's decision, not some lawmakers that don't know all of, all the facts. Well, like uh, uh, Mr. Bianchi, thank you for appearing with us tonight. Uh, this is Ken Verkam, and I'm an attorney from Edison, New Jersey on Woodbridge Avenue. This is NJ Law Talk, and uh, thank you.